Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My Collective Church or head to www.mycollective.church. It is officially the Christmas season, so we'd like to take a moment to share our Christmas plans with you. This year, Collective will be hosting three identical in-person Christmas Eve services that you won't want to miss. There'll be one service on December 23rd at 5 p.m. and two on December 24th at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. We will also have an online service on December 24th at 8 p.m. We would love for you to pick a service, grab your friends and your family and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. Also, to help us get ready to celebrate the life-changing story of Christmas, we have created an Advent calendar that is available on the Church Center app so you can live out the spirit of Christmas every single day. The calendar is complete with a passage from the Bible for you to read and a challenge that will help you share Christmas with your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers this Christmas season. Don't forget to tag us on social media whenever you complete a challenge or are impacted by a passage you read because we'd love to share your story with others. Now let's jump into Sunday's message from our Share Christmas series. This summer, Ray and I were at the park with our girls when I noticed that Elise was kind of standing off to the side, staring at another kid who was playing, and it kind of looked like she was talking to herself. I'm not going to lie, she looked like a creeper, so I walked over to her and asked her, is everything okay? And she said, Dad... I want to play with that girl. I thought, okay, (laughs) well, uh, I don't think staring at her off to the side is going to make that happen, so why don't you just walk right up to her and ask her to play? And she told me I was practicing what I wanted to say to her because I'm nervous, right? Oh, she's so cute. But this is so out of Elise's character. Not the talking to herself part, she does that all the time, but Elise is outgoing. Right? Elise is confident. She's an extrovert, emphasis on the extra. But one thing that we've learned about her is that she gets super nervous talking to kids and asking kids to play with her. So I talked her through it, then she walked up to the little girl, and they immediately became best friends. But let's be real for a second. This isn't just an Elise thing. Throughout the whole Share Christmas series, you're going to be challenged to invite people to our Christmas Eve services. DJ just did it. And just a reminder, we have three three identical in-person Christmas Eve services. I want you to take a picture of this. Don't just listen to DJ. Actually, take it to heart. December 23rd at 5 p.m., December 24th at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. And you're going to hear it from stage. You're going to see it on the Advent calendar. You're going to come across it on social media. Because the truth is, we want to pack out this room at all three services because we want as many people as possible to experience Jesus and his endless second chances. And for a lot of you... That's easy, right? You are a pro at invitation and bringing people to church. But if you're like me, each time you are challenged to invite someone to church, you start to panic a little bit. Because even as an adult, it's hard. It doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. It takes a lot of confidence and courage to invite somebody to church. A few years ago, I wanted to invite my barber to Christmas Eve. So I showed up for my haircut, and I was ready. I had an invite card in my pocket. I actually practiced what I was going to say on the drive over, which is maybe where Elise gets that from. Uh, and I even prayed to God that he would kick a door wide open. And about 20 minutes into my haircut, Wes, my barber, said, so how are you feeling about the whole Christmas Eve services? And I froze. Good, thanks. Didn't say another word about it. Right? God literally lobbed me a softball, and I swung and missed. 
True story, though, I scheduled another haircut a week later, and I walked in, and Wes was very confused because he did a great job. But I sat in the chair, and I told him I just wanted one quick trim before Christmas Eve, and then I invited him. And when I got back to my car, I took a nap because (laughs) invitation is exhausting. And so before getting into the teaching, what I want to do is I actually want to share a few tips and tricks for inviting someone to church so you don't end up just staring at people and talking to yourself and never actually inviting them to come with you. And so here are three things that you can look for that will help you know that someone is open to an invite to church. And this actually comes from a pastor named Andy Stanley down in Georgia. Uh, And I think this is great. In fact, I think it's so great that I share it at least once a year. But the baseline for what I'm about to share is that you actually know these people. You, You talk to these people. You have a relationship with these people. And Andy Stanley says that when you're talking to people, you listen for the three knots. I do not go to church. Things are not going well. I was not prepared for. And the truth is what these people are telling you is that they're longing for something, that they need community, that these are people in your life that are looking for hope, that these are people who are looking for what Jesus can offer. These are people in your life who might be willing to give church a shot because life is hard and maybe Jesus can make a difference. And so I do not go to church. Things are not going well. I was not prepared for. But that's who you invite. But then the question is, how do you actually do it? Well, the truth is the best advice that I can give you is to be you and share your story. Listen, you don't need to sell people Jesus. That's not your job. He doesn't ask you to do that. You don't need to sell collective to people. You just need to share with others what Jesus has done and is doing in your life and that you want other people to experience that. And then you ask them to come and sit with you. Next week, we're actually going to put invite cards on everybody's seat with a Starbucks gift card, and that's to help you break the ice. Buy someone coffee, and when they ask you why you are doing that, you can share them with them that you go to this amazing church called Collective, and they challenge you to share Christmas with others. And if they continue to ask you about your church or your faith, you just be you and share your story. It really is that simple, I promise. Give it a shot. All right, so last week, we kicked off our series, Share Christmas, and let me just start by saying it's been great to see so many of you participate in the Advent calendar. Um, If last week got away from you or you completely just spaced on it, it's totally fine. Just jump in this week. Uh, We really do think you're going to love the challenges this Christmas season. And the truth is, we do this because our goal isn't to just celebrate Christmas, but to share it with others and share what the birth of Jesus truly means to this world. And so last week, we started a bit non-traditionally in the book of James, and we talked about how faith requires action. But for the rest of this series, we're going to read through the story of the birth of Jesus that is found in the books of Luke and Matthew in the Bible. And so today, we're going to jump in in Luke 1, starting in verse 26. This is what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, just in those two verses, there is a lot to unpack. So we're going to pause right here for a quick second. I'm going to explain some of those things to you. So it starts by saying in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Elizabeth has been pregnant eight months. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And this is important because Elizabeth was actually unable to conceive, and she was significantly older. Same with her husband, Zechariah. And God sent the angel Gabriel to them as well and said that they were going to give birth to a son and name him John. This would become John the Baptist who would pave the way for Jesus. And so it's a very similar situation to Mary's. The biggest difference is that Elizabeth wasn't a virgin. These verses also say that Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, during that time, marriage was prearranged. This would mean that Mary's parents and Joseph's parents had a meeting to see if their kids would be a good match. 
When they decided it was, they came up with a dowry, which is essentially a price that Joseph would have to pay to get permission to wed Mary. Typically, this was livestock or money or even land. When Mary's family finally accepted the dowry, they would become engaged. And during this time, an engagement was legally binding, right? Because of a contract, you paid a price, and it could not be broken except through divorce, right? So very different than today. Some of you who are single would probably prefer this method because it's probably a little bit easier than the dating scene right now. (laughs) But the last thing I want to point out from these verses is that Luke writes that Joseph was from the line of David. David meaning King David, David who slayed Goliath, David who wrote a large chunk of the Psalms in the Bible. And what's most important about this point is that the prophecies in the Old Testament said that the Messiah would come through the line of David. He would be a part of that family. Okay, so summing up verses 26 and 27 that we just read, something big is about to go down. The story continues. Gabriel appeared to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. In college, one of my roommates was a guy named Josh, uh, and he was not smooth when it came to talking to girls. And one time we're hanging out at lunch, and he walked up to our table, and there's this girl that he had a crush on. He sat down next to her and said, hello, human. And then that was it. And this was Josh's thing, right? So this is how we knew he kind of had a thing for a girl, because he couldn't quite figure out how to talk to them, and he was super awkward about it. Hi, human. That's what this reminds me of, right? We assume that Mary felt uncomfortable in this situation, But the angel just opened up the conversation by saying, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you, right? You don't talk to many people, do you? And this word favored is really important. It comes from the Greek word for grace. And so what it really means is woman who I bring or give grace to, right? Mary has not been chosen for this task because she possessed a particular piety or holiness. Mary was picked because she was picked. She's just an ordinary person like us, which is why Mary responded the way that, we, that she did. Luke 1, 29 says, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean, right? Of course, she's confused and disturbed, and you know that feeling, right? Something happens in your life that you weren't prepared for, and you find yourself thinking, what in the world is happening? Why am I here? I never thought I would experience this. You're thinking, I can't handle this. I don't know what we're going to do. I need to figure this out. Mary was confused and disturbed, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Don't be afraid is the number one command in the Bible. It said here to Mary, It said the day that Jesus is born to the shepherds in the field. Jesus says it to his followers throughout his entire ministry. And the angel says it to the women who find the empty tomb after Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so Gabriel says, do not be afraid, for you have been graced by God. You will give birth to the Savior of the world. The most important person in the history of the world is going to be your son. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And she literally says, since I know no man. And the word know, K-N-O-W, is used to describe intimacy, if you know what I mean. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Jumping ahead a few verses, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Okay, so that's where we're going to pause the story for this week. Not much of a cliffhanger, because you guys probably know how this story plays out. 
But what I want to do is I want to focus on Mary and how she responded to this situation. Right? The truth is her life just got flipped, turned upside down, and she's confused and disturbed. You guys didn't get that, did you? Fresh Prince, come on. Goodness. She's confused and disturbed and probably a whole host of other feelings. But she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And so if you had to describe Mary in this moment, what word would you use? How do you think she's feeling? Right? I don't think she's frantic. I don't think she's angry. I don't think she's sad. The truth is there's a peace that she has. Right? It's peaceful. Mary has peace. And not peace in the way we think about it. We think of the opposite of peace being war. Right? We think that peace means everything is easy and breezy. But that's not the peace I'm talking about. I'm talking about shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace that is found in the Bible, and it means a state of wholeness and completeness, a state where you are lacking nothing. And I think this is how Mary feels. This summer, I went to Texas for a weekend to attend a men's retreat called Crucible to do some soul care. And there was an exercise on the second day where we were working through some of our past, like some of our past issues, our past pain, and we were asked, how do you want to feel when this is resolved? And almost every guy there said the same thing. I want peace. I want to feel peace. I want to feel whole and complete like I am lacking nothing. Right? We want peace. The problem is that you had one of those days this week where the kids were absolutely insane and everything was a fight. Right? Getting clothes on, eating dinner, bedtime, bath time, all of it. And at one point, you hid in the bathroom for a few minutes because you didn't actually have to go to the bathroom. You just locked yourself in there to cry. And you were in there because in that moment, you hated being a mom. And what you hated even more was feeling like that in the first place. And in that moment, what you said is that you need a break. What you said is that you just need a night out with the girls. You just need a glass of wine. And those are all good things. But really what you were hoping lies at the end of those things is peace. Right? You want to feel whole and complete. You don't want to feel like you're lacking anything in the motherhood department. Or how about this? Have you ever had a season where you just lie awake night after night? Right? And you can't really sleep because you're trying to think about how you're going to keep providing for your family and you feel like your income is lacking or your job skills or job opportunities are lacking. And in those moments when you're losing sleep, you think, all I need is a raise. Or you say, I just need the next promotion or a better job. But what you're hoping lies at the end of that is peace. You want to feel whole and complete. When it comes to your family, your relationships, your career, your mental health, you long for peace. And so I want to look back at the story and look back at Mary and see what we can learn about peace. And this is the first thing that I want to point out. I would encourage you to write this down. This is really important. True peace only comes from God. Right? That's why Mary can say, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Right? She trusts that God is in control. She knows that God loves her. She has a strong faith. Mary has a relationship with God, and that relationship leads her to peace. 2 Thessalonians 3 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Philippians 4, 7 says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. True peace only comes from God. And the peace is with us in all circumstances, and that peace guards our hearts 
in our minds, but it only comes from God. That actually leads to the second thing I want you to write down. True peace only comes from God. Yep. Is that the same application twice? Yes, it is, okay? But here's why. It's not just that peace comes from God. It's also understanding that peace doesn't come from this world. John 14, 27, Jesus actually says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The truth is the world cannot give you peace. The things of this world cannot give you peace. In fact, the world actually wants the opposite for you. Check this out. This is going to be a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, if you don't like history, sorry, not sorry. Uh, I love history, so you're just going to have to listen to it. Um, there are probably a thousand reasons we lack peace in our lives, but I actually want to focus on one of the biggest enemies of peace in our culture, advertising. Now, some of you are thinking, give me a break. You're just a grumpy old man. Yes, I am a grumpy old man, but hear me out. What is the point of advertising? To convince you to buy things that you don't really need. For example, you will never find a commercial for air. You won't see a commercial that says, did you know that you have to breathe air? Make sure you get air, right? That doesn't exist because advertising is not meant to make you aware of what you actually need, which means that advertising is most effective and it makes you feel like you are lacking something in life. And the ad industry wasn't always this way. After World War II, the ad industry exploded because of supply and demand. Because of war production in the 40s, America had gotten the supply part down. They had all these well-oiled, fully functioning factories and assembly lines and enough people demand them. But when the war ended, the factory owners tried to figure out how to keep their factories going to keep their jobs in place and the economy growing. Enter the advertising industry. Think Mad Men. They needed to create a demand that could reach their ability to supply. And so they realized that they needed to start focusing on creating desires in people's hearts. And the truth is they haven't looked back since. For 70 to 80 years now, American advertising has perfected the art of making you feel dissatisfied. Now, here we are in 2021, and between phones, computers, TVs, billboards, you name it, the average American is exposed to between 6,000 and 10,000 ads every single day. Every single day. And if you don't believe me, my wife and I were talking about this because she didn't believe it either, and I said, open up Facebook, scroll for 60 seconds, and count how many ads that you see. And these ads are perfectly designed to make you feel dissatisfied with your current life. And so what they do is they try to tell you this false promise that if you buy what the ad is selling, you will find satisfaction and happiness. You will find a certain degree of peace. And we are being fed this constant diet six to 10,000 times a day. The idea that you don't have enough yet, and if you just buy a few more things, then you can finally be happy. So buy the next iPhone, upgrade your car, buy these clothes so that you can be happy. I mean, the truth is we're even told the dumbest stuff will make us happy. Just the other day, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I saw an ad for socks that you can put your face on. It's probably the dumbest thing I've seen in the world. Uh, and I sat there, and I thought, I need to put my face on socks, and I need to give them to my staff. I don't know why. And I seriously went through the project. I took a picture of my face. I uploaded it. It took about 30 minutes in. I'm like, I'm buying these socks. And I was like, what the heck am I doing? I snapped out of whatever weird buying fog it put me into, and I closed my phone. I did not buy my staff socks with my face on them. Close, though. <laughs> Seth Godin is an author and marketing guru, and he once said, marketing is no longer about the stuff that you make, but about the stories you tell. And the stories that we are inundated with every day tell us that we are not enough, not cool enough, not wealthy enough, 
not sexy enough, not faithful enough, not a good enough parent, friend, or spouse. And if we just buy the fill-in-the-blank product, we would be enough. And we are told that we are incomplete without the product, opinion, or lifestyle they are selling. So no wonder we struggle to feel peace. We struggle to feel peace because the world doesn't actually want us to feel peace. But let's dig a little bit deeper into this. In the past five to 10 years, advertising has leveled up. And I actually joked about this last week, uh, but have you ever had that eerie moment where you're hanging out with some friends and you see their fire pit and you think, I kind of want to buy a fire pit like that. Then five minutes later, you're checking Facebook and you're seeing ads for fire pits. And what is your thought? My phone is listening to me. Your phone is not listening to you. Uh, I mean, it might be, I don't know. I'm sure some of you who work for the government could really help us figure this out, but it's fine. But what's actually happening is more terrifying than that. Here's, what happening, here's what's happening when that happens. Advertising agencies are using something called big data. And I don't actually know if it's big data or big data, so I might switch back and forth. What I do know is big data sounds like a pimp name, so I'm trying to stay away from that. <laughs> it, it'll make sense. So let me explain what big data is. I'm going to say big data this whole time. You guys will be so distracted. But every time you use social media, you shop online, use Google, or subscribe to something, little pieces of information about you are being logged and compiled and stored with other pieces of information about you. Right? This is called big data. And big data knows your age, where you live, your income, your faith, your marital status, how many kids you have, if you have pets, your hobbies, your addictions, everything, you name it. And ad agencies and businesses purchase this information about you so they can send you advertisements that are specifically designed for you, which means when your phone shows you ads of a fire pit, your phone isn't listening to you. What's happening is that your big data is helping businesses accurately predict what you're going to desire and when you're going to desire it. It's so much creepier there. And you can Google this later if you don't believe me. Um, Target actually claims that they can use big data so effectively that they can estimate within 80% accuracy that they can know that you are pregnant before your friends and family do. This targeted advertising is the most effective advertising this world has ever seen. And because big data has been so successful in manipulating us into buying stuff we don't need, back in 2017, big data beat out oil as the most valuable resource on earth, and it's been that way for five years and counting. So to drive this point home, literally the most valuable resource on the planet is your information. It's your demographics and your deepest desires. It's your spending habits so that you can be manipulated into buying things you don't need. Now, remember our biblical definition of peace. Peace is a state of wholeness and completeness, a state where you feel like you lack nothing. Of course, it is difficult to feel whole and complete and like you lack nothing when six to 10,000 times a day you are seeing ads that are specifically designed to make you specifically feel like you are lacking something in your life. We are constantly being bombarded with a subconscious message that we aren't as happy as we could be. And I think this is why the Christmas season often feels like a roller coaster. Maybe it's just me, but every December, I feel like it has either high highs or low lows and really nothing in between. And one of the reasons I think this is is because Christmas is talked about as a season of peace. Think about Christmas songs, Silent Night, Holy Infant So Tender and Mild, Sleep in Heavenly Peace. O holy night, his law is love, and his gospel is peace. Hark the herald angels sing, peace on earth, and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. It came upon a midnight clear, peace on earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. So we sing about peace, we celebrate peace, we long for peace, but we still lack peace. And it's because the Christmas season is competing with itself. God says that peace only comes from him. 
while companies try to convince you that what they are selling you will bring you peace, will make you whole and make you complete. And so the question is, which one do you trust? Right? Which one do you trust? True peace only comes from God. And the truth is, you know this, right? You know this because some of you have spent time seeking out peace in all the wrong places for a very long time, and you can feel that. Because none of the things that you have bought, found, or searched for have ever made you feel whole or complete. Right? None of the things you have bought have ever brought you peace. And my guess is that is why some of you are here today. Because you're trying to figure out if Jesus can bring you peace. You've tried everything else. Right? You're trying to figure out if Jesus can help you feel enough. You're trying to figure out if Jesus can help you feel whole and complete. And so if that is what you are looking for today, you came to the right place because only Jesus can give you the peace that you long for. And your first step in choosing that peace, if you have never done this before, is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Right? It's putting your relationship with him. And the action, like we talked about last week, that's tied to that in the Bible is baptism. It means to be dunked in water, symbolizing your own death, burial, and resurrection. And if that is what you are longing for and that is what you are looking for, this is where you find it. You don't find it in any other place outside of a relationship with God. And if you are ready for that or looking for that or just want to talk to somebody about that, check the baptism box on your connection card. We will talk to you about that this week because true peace only comes from God. Okay, here's the last thing about peace that I want to point out from this part of Mary's story. Peace doesn't mean the trials go away. Peace doesn't mean that the trials go away. It says that Mary was confused and disturbed, which makes sense. She was a virgin who was told she was pregnant with the Son of God. She didn't ask for that. I would even venture to say that she didn't want that. My guess is she wanted to marry Joseph in a small outdoor ceremony in front of their friends and family that was very quiet and very peaceful and lived the rest of their life together. She didn't ask for the life that she received. And many of you understand that. You didn't ask for the diagnosis. You didn't want the lying spouse. You didn't choose the boss who cares more about the bottom line than people. You didn't pray for the storm that you are going through right now. And so many of you are going through things right now that you didn't want, didn't need, didn't ask for, honestly didn't deserve. But that doesn't mean that you can't have peace. It doesn't mean that you can't feel whole and complete. Jesus says in John 16, this is probably the theme verse for collective, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus promises trials and he promises peace. And I know that some of you have been told that the trials in your life, that the sorrow in your life that you're feeling is because you're not faithful enough or the pain that you're experiencing is because you aren't holy enough or the brokenness is because you aren't godly enough. And the truth is that's all crap. Trials and sorrows are a part of life. Yes, life is harder when we sin. When we choose to ignore God and choose our own path, that will always make our life harder than it needs to be. And we know that because we've experienced that in our own lives. But trials and sorrow are a part of life. And the peace we feel in those trials comes from the truth that Jesus has overcome this world and the trials that come with it. Jesus has made a way for us to experience more than just this life. And that is where peace comes from. So this Christmas, one of the challenges is to seek out true peace, to seek out 
the peace of Christ because the peace that God gives us is one where we actually feel whole and complete, where we feel like we lack nothing because God gives us the things that we need the most, the true gifts of God. And the second challenge is to share that with other people. In a world that is constantly being sold a fake peace, it is our responsibility to show them where true peace comes from, God and God alone. Let's pray. God, we want peace. Um, honestly, God, I think, I think we want peace more than we even would acknowledge. Um, God, I think we want peace more than joy and more, more than hope. Um, because so many of the decisions we make are because we don't feel like we're enough. And so many of the decisions we make are feel like um, we're lacking something. And the truth is, God, we, we understand that you tell us that when we have a relationship with you, there's nothing that's missing. God, for whatever reason, you call us enough. And so, God, I just pray that as we seek out peace, as we wrestle with this idea of peace, as we try to feel peace uh, every day, but really during this Christmas season, God, I, I pray that we turn toward you. God, that we don't turn, turn toward the things that uh, culture tells us that we need to own or buy or think or do, uh, but we turn to you instead of requiring us uh, to purchase peace from you, you offer it to us, and it's free for us to take if we just choose to have a relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that's what we have. Um, but, God, I also pray that as people, we bring that into our houses, uh, into our work, into our, our city, into our communities. Um, because the truth is, every single day, we move further and further away from the real peace that you offer us. Um, but, God, it's the thing that we need the most. So, God, I pray that we hold on to that this week but we also bring that into uh, the people that we love. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.